0: Holy Spirit, I ask you right now to rain down, to rain down upon us, so Comforter and Friend, how we need your touch again. Holy Spirit, rain down, rain down. Let your power fall. Let your voice be heard. Come and change our hearts as we stand on your word. Holy Spirit, rain down. And we need your Holy Spirit to rain down today as much as ever, God. Um, we're, we're your children, but we're in need of a Savior. And fortunately, you sent that Savior, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and to rise again so that we could have new life in Christ. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and through belief in Jesus Christ, we can show the world what you, our Savior, looks like and how you want us to live. And we need help at that, God, because I don't know about anybody else, but I don't always do a good job of that. But that's okay because you are there to lift us up and to strengthen us and sustain us, God. And I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable and pleasing to you, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's November 4th. Three days ago, three days ago, we celebrated um, All Saints Day, where we remember those saints of God, who've gone before us, and, you know, those saints that uh, that are among us. And we look ahead two days, and it's an election. And this is that once in every four years where we have a presidential election. And every two years we have all of our congressmen and women, you know, up for election. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that I feel, you know, especially, I don't feel super excited about things, I'm a little anxious. Um, we've got, uh, we've got, you know, I think, what, one or two challenges. We've got unemployment, high unemployment rate, what's it, crept down just below 8%, 7.9%, you know, um, and it's been higher than that for what, over the last four years. We've got a $16 trillion debt in our nation that translates to $55,000 per family. I don't know about you, but if you don't own a home or any other big asset, I don't know how many people in this room, I mean, hopefully, and if you take out like student loan debt, I would bet that not a lot of people have a debt that high. Um, And I could go on and on about the troubles in our country. We we look around. We can look in our cities. Sadly, Los Angeles uh, is the homeless capital of the United States. I believe that number is at least 50,000 men, women, and children. Yes, there are children who are homeless every night in Los Angeles County. Um, you know, we have great wealth, but we also have poverty in this country. And then when we look abroad, we have even greater poverty in some of the, la- in, in the lands. Um, we've got people dying, you know, of hunger um, every day. And we've got wars, you know, that are going on. We've been Af- in Afghanistan for 11 years. We know all the turmoil that's going on in the Middle East. Uh, you know, Syria, you know, has been, uh, you know, one of the difficult points. Libya, within the last eight weeks, our U.S. ambassador and three other people were killed. Could go on and on, but we've got an election, so problems should be solved, right? We've got hope and change and the two sides have, and forward the two sides have different ideas of what that is, and who can bring that change in. Um, I don't think the change that uh, that my opponent is talking about is change that we can count on. It's not the change that we're looking for. Um, you know, and then while you know the president and his opponent you know, aren't probably scoring. I don't think either of them are over, they're not much above 50% on a favorable rating. Those men and women in Congress are even less popular. Maybe 10, 15% of the people have a favorable rating of them. So, and then the Senate, I don't know what their popularity rating is, but I know they haven't passed the budget in three years. So, we got election day coming up, and Things are going to be looking up, aren't they? Well, let's go to California. Why don't we, huh? Things don't look so good in the U.S. Outside, but California, right? We're this great progressive land that California, all these great ideas come out of and all of that. Aren't we doing well? What do I have here? Am I the only one who's been getting a lot of things in my mailbox? I don't always pick up my mail every day. And when I do, it's like all crumpled up because I got all this stuff in here. This has to have some answers. I got one that tells me how to vote. I won't show that, so I don't want to be seen as, uh, as partisan. Well, you all probably, I guess, I don't know whether, I, what, are all the state assembly people up? I saw these guys in the spring. These guys litter. Uh, I live in Eagle Rock. And... Uh, I find these ads kind of interesting. They don't really tell, them, uh, tell me a lot about what they stand for. But like one opponent goes, who would lie about being endorsed by the Democratic Party? I bet you it's not me who's endorsed this ad. It's my opponent. And then, I like, I like this one. Patience or Profits. In lobbyist Luis's case, it's profits. I'll leave off the last name to protect the innocent. And then, see, that was his opponent. The guy who wrote those two ads is this guy in the sunglasses. This isn't his ad. He's on their side. All these evil people and corporate entities that are down there. And so... I don't know about you, but I don't see a whole lot of answers out there. Now, I don't mean to be a total, you know, total downer and pessimist, but thankfully, that's not the end of the story. That's not all that there is. I mean, I'm looking for someone or some group of people to save the day, to improve the day. I'm sure some of you are too, to improve our country and our world, but the government and our elected officials, they cannot give us what we really need, and the private sector is not enough either, and that's largely what different sides seem to be selling, but regardless of where you stand on things, the answer is out there, friends, and that answer is... Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer to our problems. And He has been for the last 2,000 years. Because Jesus Christ has already taken care of things for you, me, and the world. Through His sacrificial love and death on the cross. The fact that this God, who was with His Father in Heaven, would come down to this earth to live amongst us and to live with some of the human constraints that we human beings have while he lived here, while he was God, the one thing that he didn't carry with us is sin. He came down here because he and God his Father loved us so much that Jesus would give his life for us to save us from our sins and to reconcile us to God his Father. And Jesus also brought in His Father's kingdom, the kingdom of God. And that is the party that He wants us to belong to, the party that He wants us to vote with in our hearts and in our minds and in our entire being and all that we are. Because, my friends, the kingdom of God is, Party platform of values is something we need to sign on to, we need to embrace, and we need to live out. And we need to belong to this kingdom of God party. Because that is our first calling. It's not wrong, it, nothing inherently wrong with being a Democrat or Republican, Libertarian or, or whatever, but you're first and foremost. Called to be a part of the kingdom of God and that should influence your thoughts on the political process and on your entire life and this world and your community and your family that you live with and in. And we've been going through the year, the gospel of Mark. We take, you know, different gospel every year and then, you know, during all years, we sprinkle in a little bit of John you know, here and there, and we, we get interrupted and on some holy days and during some holy seasons, but this year we've been in the Gospel of Mark. And what are the first words of Jesus in Mark's Gospel? Well, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, when Jesus came into Galilee preaching the Gospel of God and saying, he said, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So let's unpack this statement. The time is fulfilled. Well, the time is fulfilled as Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago because He is in the embodiment of the kingdom of God. He came so that the kingdom of God could be amongst us. And that kingdom of God came in the person and the mission of Jesus Christ. And as I said, He came into the world to live as God in the flesh, to die and to rise again for the salvation of the world. He came so that we could see what God was all about in something that we could recognize, our own human flesh. And then that Jesus was the one that the Old Testament prophets had been prophesying about. So the time is fulfilled. Then the next thing Jesus says is the kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God means the reign or the rule of God. Um, and there's a whole lot more to that, but sometimes if you want just a quick... And, 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 there's a whole lot more and i 'll I'll t- I'll touch a little more on what that is because it's like okay kingdom okay great you're just translating kingdom and you 're adding God on there, but it's the rule the reign of god it's it's and our gospels contain what that kingdom is about and and really you know our entire Bible but it's and, and, and the, the New Testament writings of Paul and the other people but it's, you know It starts with it's God's rule and it's reign. And Psalm 145 says that this kingdom of God is an everlasting kingdom and that His dominion will endure throughout all generations. There is a king, and that's King Jesus, and He is seated on God's throne, and He is in charge no matter what we humans may think and no matter what... Um, our worldly leaders may, may tell us and yes and he's ordained God has ordained those you know, us to have leaders but they are to be they are under the authority of God that's how God has set this up and then there's that word repent probably a word that we hear as much as about any word you know in Christian doctrine and when Jesus c- proclaims repent he speaks more than feeling sorry for the consequences for our sins. What he's getting after is you're feeling you're sorry, you're sorrowful for the actual sin that you've committed against God and against other people and how you've hurt God and how you've hurt others. But there's also, there's the sorry for it, but there's also this desire to turn from it and a resolution to turn from sin and to not continue in that. We're sinful beings. We're never going to um, stop sinning. But I think one of the things, repentance, is we're going to sin less. And also, it's going to be much more conscious. We're going to be much more conscious of it. I think that's kind of you know, what happens when we are in that repentance process. And it's also, it's more than just changing our mind. You're, you're deliberately making a turn or a return to God that results in moral and ethical change in action. Um, Bible commentator Edward Schweitzer says, Repentance does not refer to changing the characteristics or the actions of the person, but the total direction of life. Something internal needs to happen that makes... One willing to give up, trusting in ourselves so that we can allow God to take control. One of the things we, just, we have to give up, and it's a hard thing to do, give up our desire to be the king and queen of our lives. Yeah, we're, you know, there are our lives, but we're not supposed to be the driver in that car that is our lives. We're supposed to be an active passenger where God is leading us. And, you know, we're not alone in that. We see, and actually, you know, we, in September and I believe into October, we, we saw some of this in those 12 disciples when Jesus says to them, and he says it three times in Mark's gospel um, in chapters nine, 8, 9, and 10 starts in, uh, in those three chapters where Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. They don't really get that, the full magnitude of it. But what happens in each instance after that? You know, they either, Peter says, no, Lord, you're not going to do this. I'm going to rebuke you. What are you talking about? And then in chapters 9 and 10, the disciples either are arguing about who's the greatest or we have James and John saying, I want to... Let's let James, let's let my brother and I sit at your right hand and on your left you know, in your glory. So they're looking for greatness. But they don't understand that the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of our human greatness. It's certainly God's greatness. But it's our descending down as far as we can and being a servant. Because That's what Jesus was. You know, and he exemplified that the most, you know, when he went to the cross to die for our sins. He sacrificed and he gave up his life so that we could have eternal life. And I'm not going to find it in Matthew if I go there. Um, But that third occasion after James and John want to sit at Jesus' right hand in glory. Jesus says to them, You know, that's what the Gentiles, you know, do. They lord it over people. But that it is not that way among you. I'm in verse forty three of chapter ten. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. We, as one author of a book of a, a Christian pastor I believe it's Bill Hybels entitled his book Descending into Greatness if we want greatness we have to want greatness in the kingdom of God we've got to descend as low as we can and then finally we've got you know the time is fulfilled um, the, the kingdom of God is at hand repent and then there's believe in this gospel believe that I Jesus am who I said that I am that I am the Son of God, um, and that I died for the sins of the world, and that and I, and I am the Savior of the world. And some of those things, and other things that we recite in our Nicene Creed, um, we have to believe in that. Um, and that is like the, that, you know, is, is the end of the, is part of the process, that repent and believe. I mean, we repent, we turn away, but then we believe in Jesus, and we submit That God is in charge, that God rules. That's what the kingdom of God is about. Him in charge, Him ruling. And we acknowledge Him as the Lord of Lords. Jesus is our master and our king. And that, my friends, is what's required to belong to the kingdom of God party. And many of you belong to that. I hope all of you do. Or all of you want to. Because that's what, that's what Jesus called us to do. Repent. Believe in Him. Follow Him above all else. And you're part of the kingdom of God party. You can look at it another way. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And He's got ways that He wants you to live. And that brings me to today's gospel. Because today's gospel talks about love. And love is the currency... Of the kingdom of God. Money, power, knowledge, some of these other things, they may be the currency of our world. And I'm not saying that, you know, they're, some of those things aren't, aren't important or that they all don't have some important values to them. But love is what makes the kingdom of God go round and what makes it so special. And our gospel. You know, begins. We've got a religious scribe who's asking, which is which commandment is the first of all? Now we've seen a lot of bad questions by the Pharisees, or or questions that that um, are not friendly to Jesus and are trying to do harm to Jesus. But this is a good question, and because how, there are many commandments in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There are 613 commandments from God in these five books. And out of those commands, 248 are positive commands, and 365 of them are prohibitions in God's law. So, every day, there's a different thing that that you are not supposed to do. 365, one for each day of the, of the year. I don't know. I mean, well, I don't want to count how many of those I've, uh, that I've done, whether I've got a perfect score for the year. But um, there's a lot of them. Um, and some were considered to be smaller and some greater. And I think we know there are, what, 10 commandments that seem to take or do take priority because God put them on two tablets two times Um, and so even there you know Jesus and that's what I think of most when Jesus kind of says what is the greatest commandment but what the scribe wants to know it's not he doesn't ask so that well I know which ones I have to obey and which ones I don't he wants to know what's what's the underlying basis for all these law and commandments if I can get that I could do a whole lot better job of keeping the commandments. And same with, you know, those ten. They really break down into, you know, Jesus breaks them down into two main components. And he says these are the two great commandments. So he answers first, which is the most important commandment, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. And that first one is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. But Jesus gives them, you know, a second scoop of ice cream for free on that single cone that you bought. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these two. And in the loving your neighbor as yourself, he's quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. So in this statement to this scribe, Jesus is giving a five-pronged command to love. Love, the, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love our neighbor as ourselves. So let's take a look at some of these. And, and I kind of think, don't know whether this is correct, but you, know, you can think about it. I think there's in, in some aspects, or at least certainly the first one, there's kind of a first place that I think it's really important to start. Not that you know we're not, not that they all aren't going to be involved, and the mind certainly, you know, is, but the heart. Because if your heart is full of love for God, I think some of these other things are going to come a little more naturally, and you're going to be a little. More, that's going to be some of the motivation and the spark that does it. Because that heart, it's, it's the center you know, of our being and you know, who we are. And it's, it, the heart controls our feelings, our emotions, our desires, our passions. Love must start here. Although love within us, it starts here. As we know, it starts with God. Because God is love. And because of the love that God has shown for us in creating us, in giving us this wonderful world and this creation and all the things that we see, family and friends and loved ones and all of that, and then most importantly, giving us Jesus Christ and giving Him up for us. That is where our ability and desire to love starts. And Jesus kind of puts it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, where your treasure is, there will be your heart. And that treasure that God wants in your heart is him. God wants to be your treasure, treasure chest. And I'm sure that many of you, you know, have testimonies of how God has worked in your heart to soften your heart, to fill it more with love. And we need those. We need those those things in our lives. We need God to do work in our lives. And we also need to hear um, and share that with, with other people because it can be encouraging and you never know how it's going to touch. Um, and, we, and, and our heart, I think, is something that always needs God's, you know, continuing, you know, work in our hearts. Um, I, God has done some great things in my heart. I still have a long way to go. But as I reflect, you know, I've been walking, I've known the Lord for over 20 years. And it, it really, I came to know him when I moved to New York City. I had grown up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and New York was quite a different place than, than, uh, than New York, kind of out in a, a suburb of Milwaukee, a city of only 600,000 people, compared to this megalopolis here in you know, New York City, the Big Apple. But that's where God really met me and got me into a great church, got me um, involved in a small group. At church, a house church, met some great people, and then all these people talking about Jesus and and praying with each other, and we would study scriptures and, and, and sing songs. And then in 1997, he took me to South Africa. And this particular passage is a very special one for me because it is in a church service in a South African church where my New York pastor had been a minister in the 70s and then into the early 80s before he he and his wife left South Africa uh, during apartheid. And this was his first trip back. Um, and he had, we had celebrated their, the church's 100th anniversary the, the week before where the archbishop um, of uh, Cape Town was. It wasn't Archbishop Desmond Tutu, but it was his successor was there. So then the next week my pastor celebrates. And he reads the summary of the law and the prophets. These two great commandments that we read here, it was probably Matthew's version of it. But that was, when I heard that, I just said, because I had struggled with working a lot and, and just knew you know, I wasn't living my life the way that I should. And as I heard that, and I'd heard that thing a thousand times when I was, uh, prior to moving to New York, but hadn't heard it for about six or seven years in a church service, I just heard God, God saying to me, it's all about relationships. Yes, other things are important, but it's all about relationships. But what it, whatever I heard and whatever happened, there was like God, you know, as I reflected later, it was kind of like he opened up my heart and poured his love in. Um, and he's done some other things, but, and you know, I, it blows me away that I'm standing here before you today as I reflect after uh, the wedding of Father Jose's daughter yesterday, you know, and... I was blessed to be able to, to celebrate that. It just blows my mind, you know, how he's brought me to this point to stand before you. But it started with that church service experience. Um, and I know that some of you have some great testimonies of how God has worked in your heart to open it up. And, and, and I just pray, and I need more of that because there's still this heart you know, has got growth that needs to happen. So we love God with our heart. We love him with all our soul. It's all our heart. It's all our soul. And that soul is kind of the power source. So the the heart is there that moves us to act and to think and kind of, you know, motivates what we do. And then there's, he says, love God with all our mind. I don't know about you, but this mind can get kind of active and maybe not be thinking about the things it should be thinking on. And we've got to get our hands around that mind as much as we can and focus on God. That's what he's saying. Love God with all of our mind. And then, so we've got our heart, our soul, our mind, and then we've got our strength, and that can refer to our body, our physical capacities, can also refer you know, to our possessions. So we pull all that together and that's all supposed to be focused on God. So when we've done that, as we're doing that, our ability to love our neighbors as ourselves is going, we're just going to have a greater capacity to do that. Because once again, it starts with God. And that's the most important thing. But God, Jesus has also said, it's very important, it's the second great commandment for you to love your neighbor as yourself. Not anything else that's any other of these commandments that are written in the five books of the um, first five books of the Bible, but they're all kind of undergirded by these two: you're to love your neighbor as yourself, and that doesn't just include your family, your friends, and your loved ones. It includes whoever you see in need, um, and whoever needs me is my neighbor. And God wants us to act with active compassion and justice. And in the world that we live in, this is a it Should be a challenging thing, and it 's something that's that 's much greater than, than I can put my hands on as i as i think about as I think about it. you know I think about the um, you know I work at a homeless rescue mission, but you know I largely sit inside the office I mean I interact, but you know I, I work more in finance and administration um, and then once again, and we saw. Those of us who went to Honduras in the summer, we saw much greater poverty than what we see here. And we've got folks here from Nigeria and other countries in Africa who I'm sure have seen a much deeper level of poverty than what, you know, what we see here, even though you know, we do have a lot of poverty and we've had increasing poverty. What am I as a member of the kingdom of God, supposed to do about that. That is something that, you know, sh- we should be thinking about. And also, and it, so you've got poverty, but we've also got, you know, we've got sickness um, and all kinds, you know, people in need. And, and that's something that, that I know I need to do more of, you know, in terms of prayer and actually spending time, you know, actually helping people you know in need so that's if we're about God's kingdom business that needs to be on our heart on our mind and and, and a part of us but it follows from the first command a loving God with all of our heart our mind our soul and our strength and as we do those things and Jesus command to do these things I think some of those those beatitudes, because we didn't read, we didn't do the All Saints readings this year, but you all remember those, those nice, easy ones to, to do, and, you know, I'm sure you're not like me, that, uh, you know, you're doing all of, all of these are real easy to do and understand. Blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, recognizing our spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who mourn, you know, over sin. Blessed are are the gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus' commands to love God and to love our neighbors, ourself, is how we can reflect these kingdom values that Jesus lays out at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount and then as he moves into his teaching. That's how we can better reflect those. And our world needs us to reflect those things. Because you're probably not going to see... Many of these kingdom values in the Democratic or Republican Party platforms that our president and uh, his challenger are running on. But these values and the life, words, and deeds of Jesus Christ are the only answer for the world's problems today and tomorrow and for the rest of our days. And remember that it is love, love for God with all that we are, and loving our neighbor as ourself, that are the fuel that runs the kingdom of God agenda that God wants us to be a part of. Amen.